You and I might spend about 70 to 80 years on this earth. Not long when you consider the timeline of eternity. Have you ever wondered what life is all about? Every day we get bombarded with the message to pursue the things of this world. Make money, get stuff, be comfortable, live well. More, 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 and me, me, me. That's the prevailing message of our day. Our generation has a hijacked version of the American dream. But as Christians, we know deep down this distorted view of life isn't real life. We read what the Bible teaches and we see how Jesus lived. Every day we face a choice to pursue the me, me, me mindset of the American dream or to pursue Christ. What if this generation was willing to trade in the pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ to be traitors? A trader is a new kind of missionary, not defined by geography. Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you're on makes you a missionary. Being a trader is a movement that requires us to live out our faith, not just talk about it. As a trader, we must choose daily to sacrifice and be intentional with our time, money, and skills. We can be like the Good Samaritan in the parable. When we're on the road of life and see someone in need, we choose to help. We follow Jesus' instructions to go and do likewise. A trader must hate injustice and find specific ways to bring the hope found in Jesus to desperate situations. It's easy to identify what you hate. What makes your heart break and your fists clench? A trader sees work as worship. Everything you do in life, including your job, can be an opportunity to worship the God who created you. Because God is glorified when we use our God-given passions and skills with excellence. And finally, a trader must act swiftly because the time is right now. The result of all this would be a generation of traders who are making choices with their time, money, and passions that are kingdom-focused and not self-focused so that our short time here can have an eternal impact. All right. Good morning, everyone. I'm Mikey. I'm the youth pastor here at Connect Church, and I'm so glad that uh, I get to be here with you this morning and uh, share with you what God's put on my heart this morning. Before we get into that, uh, let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive into God's Word. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for bringing us here this morning, Lord, to, uh, to praise and worship you, Lord, to dive into your Word, Lord, to uh, seek out your truth. And Lord, I pray as we... Um, hear your words this morning, Lord. I pray that you would just challenge our hearts, Lord. You would soften our hearts, Lord, and our focus would be on you this morning. And so, Lord, I pray as we're um, challenged that we would take what we hear this morning and live it out um, as we leave this building this morning, Lord. And I pray if someone doesn't know you, Lord, that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior this morning. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit which moves through this room and moves in our hearts. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so today we're going to be talking about and asking the question, what is life? Talked about that in that video, this idea of what life looks like. And you know, last week we, we got to celebrate Easter and we got to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and him defeating death and making the payment for us to spend eternity with him. And in his resurrection, he gives us life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so in this resurrection and in believing in that, he gives us life. But what does that life look like? What does the life of a believer actually look like? Has it been diluted here in the future? Has it been um, maybe 
not at the forefront of our mind of, of living our lives for Christ. Because, you know, Christ made this investment in us when he went to the cross, he made this payment. And so are we wasting that investment? Or in these 70 to 80 years that we have here on earth, are we living for him and not ourselves? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And, and today is going to be a lot of self-examining ourselves and looking at our hearts and looking at the lives that we're living and it's going to be maybe a little bit awkward, maybe a little bit uncomfortable this morning, but that's okay. God likes to do things in uncomfortable circumstances. But I think this uh, can be a huge impact on the way that we live our lives and for us to be able to go and not be ashamed to share the gospel, to go out and live our lives for Christ. And so I want to start with Christ's words this morning in John chapter 15. You can follow along on the Bible app this morning if you go to events you go to Connect Church in Akron, Ohio, you can follow along. We're going to start with one of Jesus' I am statements, I am the vine. And this is going to be like the basis of what we're going to be talking about this morning. And so let's read it here together. John 15, 1 through 5, this is Jesus speaking, saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. We're going to be looking at the fruit that is produced in our lives today and, and coming to this conclusion that Jesus says is that he is the only one that can actually produce fruit in our lives. We can produce works, but he is the one that produces fruit, the fruit that God desires. And so this idea of, of us being the branches and him being the vine, you know, we have these, uh, uh, these pictures around our offices here as the church staff because we watched a, a conference here months ago and Kyle Edelman kind of gave us this saying and it's be the branch. Being the branch is what Christ calls us to do. He's going to do the rest of the work. We just have to be obedient and selfless and give ourselves up and let him work through us. But in order for us to do that, we have to understand what the fruits are. What fruit is being produced in our lives or what works are being produced in our lives. And so the Apostle Paul, he talks about this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. This is the fruits of the Spirit. This is what Christ the Spirit produces in us. So it says this But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so I'm going to read the works of the flesh here in a second, but I want us to take a step back, like I've said this morning, and kind of evaluate ourselves, evaluate our lives, and see what is being produced in our lives. Is it the fruits of the Spirit, or is it the works of the flesh that are said here Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, 
jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things. I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I believe we have, we have a battle in life because we're sinful people of battling on both uh, ends of the spectrum. A lot of us, we, we want to give Jesus our life. We want to give him full control over our life and, and fill us with his spirit and produce this fruit in our lives. But on the other hand, we like to be in control. We like to follow our selfish desires. We fall into, into temptation and so we got to figure out where, which way am I going? Where am I going in life? What is the life that I want to live? And so we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul here this morning. And we're going to be in Philippians for most of the rest of the time here this morning. And um, I think this story of when Paul is actually writing Philippians and what he's writing to them fits so perfect with this idea of being the branch and giving yourself up. You know, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Philippian church, he's actually, he's in prison, he's in a Roman prison. But it seems to be that he has so much joy, it's so abundant that he's telling his people that he's writing this letter to. The, the Philippian letter uh, is actually probably considered the happiest letter that he wrote while he was in prison and put himself in prison on purpose so he could be in Rome. And so I've always asked myself this question of how do some of these, uh, these apostles and the early church members, how do they have so much joy with all of the stuff that they went through? Like, it seems like Paul, most of the time, if you read Acts, he's either being stoned or he's put in prison or he's bit by a snake or being cast out of a city like, or put in prison. And that doesn't seem like a fun, joyful life to live, but he has joy in what he does. And so I've always asked myself the question, why? Why is that? And it brings me to, my, to the first point this morning is Paul didn't find joy from his circumstances, and we shouldn't either. Paul didn't look for joy in his circumstances, but he found his joy in his belief in Christ. It didn't come from whether his life was going great on a worldly perspective, or if it was going bad on a worldly perspective, Paul was going to live for Christ, whether it was in life or in death. He was going to proclaim the name of Jesus. And so we start in chapter 1 of Philippians, and it's verses 12 through 14. And Paul says this as he's writing to the church, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of, my, of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Paul's pumped that he's in prison because he got to share the gospel with imperial guards who now have accepted Christ or uh, the p other people that are in prison and he's encouraging the Philippian people, hey, don't worry about me. I'm good. God's got me here for a reason, and so I'm going to take advantage of it. No matter what my life looks like right now from the outside, yeah, it, it probably is not the greatest position to be in in a Roman prison, but I'm going to make my time worth it, and I'm going to give myself up regardless of what they do to me to share the gospel fearlessly. And so 
as he does that and as, as he shares the gospel with people, I believe he also has this other perspective as well that goes along with this first point. And when it comes to seeking out joy, I think, I think there's a, a big issue when it comes to seeking out joy. We look for it in circumstances, or we look for it in materialistic things, or consumeristic things, or we try to find it in some way, shape, or form, that in, in some ways, when we're looking at the fruits of the Spirit, we see joy, but in reality, we're actually doing the works of the flesh. We're, self, we're doing selfish ambition, or we're going um, and looking to find joy in sex, or in a partner, or whatever that may be, and we're, we think we're having joy, but we're really having works of the flesh. And sometimes our circumstances or our beliefs can change or distort where we find joy because, like Christ said, joy only comes from Him. And so my next point for this morning is, rather than letting our situation determine our belief, we need to let our belief triumph our situation. Paul wasn't complaining or he was not upset because he was in prison. He didn't think God had left him or that his belief in Christ was any less because he was in prison. He let his belief in Christ drive him to fulfill the purpose in which he has for him. And I think a lot of us can kind of look at this and we see situations in life where we see no hope or we don't have any joy or we, we have no peace. And like we learned last week, Pastor Jay talked about we can have hope in Jesus because we know where we're going. We know what happens at the end. We know he wins. And life can be hard and it's not the easiest thing to do, but when we seek joy from our belief in Christ, the situations that we're in can become a little bit easier to live out. Because if we're not seeking out Jesus, we're not seeking out sharing the gospel, we're not living the purpose in which he's called us to live. Because this life, this new life that we've been given, we're a new creation, is now Christ. It is his. I am his. I'm his servant. I'm here to live for him and not for myself anymore. You know, I have, uh, I have a lot of baseball stories, but um, if, you, if, you've heard me, if you've heard me preach before, uh, I, I, like, uh, I played baseball in high school. I love baseball, um, but I have a story that kind of correlates with this idea of uh, giving yourself up and kind of in some ways suffering for the cause of Christ. And so, um, in high school, when we played baseball, when we would practice, we would have batting practices. And so um, what would happen is we had a, um, this big whole cage that would go over home plate just so if we would hit foul balls, we wouldn't lose them because um, that's annoying. And uh, so we would have batting practice. Um, and what our coach would do is he wouldn't tell us, but he would throw a baseball at us when we were batting. Um, and we were not allowed to move. We had to let the ball hit us, and it sucked. Um, I probably still have bruises from it, but he would do that, and if we moved, we had to go run and do a certain amount of push-ups, sit-ups, whatever that is, but he did this for a reason. He ingrained into our brains that as a team, we're not there to live selfishly, 
but we're to play selflessly. And if I can get hit with the ball and I can get to first base, that gets us closer to getting a run. It's not about hitting home runs. It's not about putting your batting average up. It's not about hitting doubles and looking good, but it's about being a team player. And sometimes that means you have to suffer just a little bit to do that. And in the same way in our spiritual lives, when it comes to uh, us sharing the gospel with people or living our lives for Christ, sometimes it takes a little bit of suffering so someone can get closer to their eternal home. And I think that's so, so important, especially in the world we live in now. We live in a world, it's always been this way, but more so now, I believe, because of social media and, and um, the news and the internet, now we can get whatever we want whenever we want, or we can see whatever we want whenever we want, but it's such a consumeristic world. And I pray and I hope that it's not bleeding into the church, because that's not the life we're called to live. We're called to give ourselves up and be givers instead of takers. And so Paul says this, Philippians 1, 18 through 20. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether in life or in death. Paul here, in his life, he was going to proclaim Jesus, whether that means he was in prison, whether that means he was preaching in the streets of, of Athens, or he was in Ephesus. He was going to live for Christ, and if it meant that he died, he was going to be a martyr for Christ, and people were going to know who he died for. He truly embodied giving himself up and being the branch and following Christ. It says this in Luke 9, 24. Jesus says this to his disciples, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. When we lose our lives, we actually gain life in Christ. We gain joy, we gain hope, we gain peace. We can't get all of those things on our own. We can't get all of those things through uh, money or notoriety or entertainment. It only comes from Jesus. And, and Paul, the reason he's saying some of this stuff to the Philippian church was because they had an issue with just checking the, uh, the boxes off when it came to being the church. Okay, I, I went and met with my, my church in my house or I went and I fed people, but they never went past the check mark and never showed in their lives up until this point why they were living the way that they were living. They were just going through the motions out of obligation, not, not out of faith-driven love that Christ gives us through his sacrifice. And so Paul here, he, he's coming to this conclusion and kind of telling them and encouraging him like, look, even though I'm in prison and I can't be with you guys, I'm still going to be the church. I'm still going to love people as Christ has called me to do that. You do the same. And so my next two points, and we'll, we'll dive deeper into this, but it's this idea of quit going to church and start being the church. Paul wasn't going to the church. 
He was full on being the church in which Christ called us to be. He was out. He was going and serving people, whether that meant he was going to get stoned. Like one of my favorite stories about Paul, I forget what city he was in, but he went to this city. He preached the gospel. They got mad at him, stoned him, beat the crap out of him, and drug him out the city. And the other disciples were standing around him, and they prayed over him. And then all of a sudden, he got right back up, and then he just went walked back into the city to go preach again. That's a man who is following Jesus with his whole heart. He gave up everything, if you know the story of Paul. He gave up notoriety. He gave up power. He gave up money. He was a Pharisee. He had, he had a good life. And when Jesus came and changed his life, he gave all of that up to proclaim the name of Jesus and not his own anymore. He also writes this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 24 through 25 and stick with me here for a second. It says this, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for her. And so this passage obviously is talking about marriage. And we know on both ends of the marriage, husband and wife, both are to serve and sacrifice for one another. That's what makes a healthy, successful marriage. And then there's this idea at the very beginning, that Jesus, uh, that Paul is saying that the church is the bride of Christ and that he gave up everything for us and he sacrificed everything for us. And so I want to ask this question as we're evaluating ourselves this morning How's the marriage going? On both ends. Jesus has given us everything. Are we serving him? Are we serving his church? Are we serving his creation and people? Or are we distracted by other things? Maybe we're like the Philippians and we're distracted by coming in and having a consumeristic uh, mindset when it comes to coming to church, that we sit in these chairs and that we, if the, the band doesn't play the songs that we like, that we're not, we're not feeling it this morning. Or maybe the preacher didn't, didn't get you hyped this morning and you just, you just weren't feeling it. It's not about that. Being in the church is not about that. The church is about coming in here, edifying one another, building each other up, loving on each other, teaching each other, encouraging each other to go out into the world and share the gospel with people. That's what this gathering is all about. It's not about being entertained. Yeah, we have an awesome band. We have a lot of awesome people around here that we were so blessed with. I've heard some preachers say this, that this gathering in here this morning is not supposed to be a cruise ship, but it's supposed to be a battleship. We're supposed to be preparing and equipping ourselves to go out and share the gospel with people because there are people out there that are bound for hell. And that's the reality. And if that doesn't break your heart, then we need to take a step back and check, am I really focusing and living on Jesus? Is this the life that I'm living or am I living for my own works? This world isn't getting any better. It's not. There are people out there that are lost, that can go online and figure out everything that they need to know, but they don't know the truth that Jesus came and died for them and gives them life. 
And if we love people and we love God like, like Jesus' commandment, he said the two greatest commandments that sum up everything that we are called to do is love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and likewise love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we show that we love God and we worship God is by loving his creation, his most precious creation in you and in me. And so ask yourselves this morning, how's the marriage going? Are you serving? Or are you a taker? Are you a giver? We're called to give of our time. We're called to give of our resources. We're called to give of our talents. And we're, we're to serve people. Like that video said, we only have 70 to 80 years here on earth. Some are blessed with longer. But that's a short amount of time compared to eternity. And that's the life that we're called to live is focused on eternity, focused on loving people and sharing the gospel. So what does it look like? What does it look like to live um, as a follower of Christ? Paul says this in Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For there, it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that, I saw, that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. As people who have, who have believed in Christ and believed in the gospel and that are saved, we are citizens of heaven. That's encouraging that we have a place in heaven. We are children of God. We're not going anywhere. We're secure. We're citizens. We are going there when our time here on earth is over. But the life that we're called to live here on earth is to not only believe in Christ, but to suffer for him. And you know, James, he speaks on this same exact thing as well. He says this, James says this in one, uh, James 1, 21 through 27. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does." If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What James is saying here is that we're not, we're not called to just be hearers of the word and just sit in seats, but we're called to be doers of the word as well, if we just sit here and we listen and we don't apply it to our lives, we don't go out and, and do what Jesus has called us to do, then it means nothing to us. And so there's no point in doing anything. It's like looking in a mirror and you forget your own face. We're called to be both hearers and doers of the word, but sometimes 
for more hearers than we are doers. And a doer of the word looks like this. You, you see the needs that are in front of you, whether it's at your work, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your church family, whether it's just someone on the street. You see a need and you're convicted by the Holy Spirit to go fill that need. You follow Christ. We're called to go and fill the needs of people, to serve people, to love people, to take care of people. And it's not just widows and orphans that had to do with the time period in which they were in, but we're called to go serve people, give ourselves up, and give up our time. It's dangerous just to sit in a seat. It's dangerous to just be a hearer. Because when we do, who knows who God had planned for us to impact, that they may know him and spend eternity with him. But rather, sometimes when we're selfish, we might be doing someone to hell. I think this world needs the church. It absolutely does need the church. But what keeps us from being doers of the word? Jesus is talking to Peter in this passage, and he's just told Peter that uh, you're going to take over my church. You're going to be the rock. You're going to be the head guy. And then he goes on to tell Peter about what's going to happen here in the future. He's talking about his, uh, his crucifixion and what's going to happen. And Peter doesn't like that. But let me read Jesus' words here. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it is necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, Go behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are thinking about, you're not thinking about God's concerns, but humans' concerns. Take up your cross. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Jesus is telling Peter here that even though in some ways Peter had good intentions, of course he didn't want to see his teacher, his best friend, go and get crucified and whatnot. But Jesus told him, you're not focusing on the things that God has planned. Sometimes we have to go through some suffering to see the glory of God be proclaimed. And he told Peter, you're focusing on human concerns, not of godly concerns. And how often is that what we're focused on? You know, I learned this um, at a camp we went to um, for the middle schoolers, and uh, I thought it, it stuck with me a lot because it meant a lot, but this phone is your life. This, this is who you are. This is re representing your life. There's only, at least for this phone, we all have different phones, but we're going to go with an iPhone here for a second. Um, sorry, Android users, but uh, there's only one charger one type of charger that gives this phone life. Only one. The same thing with Jesus. Jesus is this cord that gives us life. If we unplug, we don't have life. When we're plugged into him, he gives us life. But the question is, what applications are number one in your life? Is it your work? 
Is it friends? Maybe you're just too busy. Maybe it's school. The number one application in our life should be Jesus. But how often do we put him on the back burner even though he's the one that's giving us life? That's what this passage Jesus is telling Peter is. Because Peter doesn't know the implication and what's going to happen at the resurrection, what's going to happen at the crucifixion. But he's telling him, you need to focus on godly things. It might not seem like the best idea or it might not seem like the best situation, but God's got a plan and he calls us to be obedient to him. Says, Jesus says this to John in Revelation 6, or 3.16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out my mouth. Christ has a purpose for us. See, uh, this idea of hot and cold is not necessarily being on fire for Jesus or cold for Jesus. There is speculation that in Laodicea, which is where this letter was written to, there were pipes in the ground and water would just sit there and it would get stagnant and it would get gross and it would get bacteria in it. And of course, you would want to vomit it out of your mouth. There were uh, therapeutic springs that were around there that people would go and use for therapy. There was cold water that was refreshing to drink. And so what Jesus is saying here is if you, you sit there and you, you, you don't follow me and you don't live for me, you're going to be stagnant and I'm going to want to vomit you out my mouth. I have a purpose for you. Either be hot or cold. We all have different purposes, but we still have that purpose of following him. And that's what Jesus wants for all of us. Our faith should drive us to live for him, not out of obligation, but out of love because of what he has done for us. It would go on to say, Jesus would say this in verse 17 of Revelation. He said, people were too focused on their money and and their materialistic things, and that's why they were lukewarm because they weren't focused on God's concerns, but they were focused on their human concerns. This is the life that Christ wants us to live. It is no longer my sinful self that lives, but Christ who lives in me. I'm a child of God because I believe Jesus died for me and my sins died with him, and he rose again three days later and gave me life. And that life starts now. There is no time to wait. So, the connection point this morning and to answer the question, what is life? It's being the branch. It's dying to yourself and living a life rooted in Jesus. Christ wants to work through you, but we have to let him. We have to give up our life, our own selfish desires that get in the way of the purpose that Christ has for us individually and us as the church. There are people out there that don't know the truth that are going to hell, and we have the cure for that. We're called to be ambassadors and witnesses of Christ. We're called to be listeners and doers of the word. Start by giving yourself up, dying to yourself, being the branch. Don't try to be the vine because you're not going to be able to produce fruit. And let Jesus change people's lives through you. 
We only have so much time. And this world needs Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And this morning, I hope we were challenged. I hope we take what we learned in here and we're the branch. We die to ourselves and we go live a life for Jesus, even if that means we have to suffer a little bit, we have to give up a little time, we have to give up a little money, we have to give up a little bit of our talents to, to impact people for the gospel. There's no greater blessing than being able to meet Jesus at the gates of heaven and him say, well done, good, faithful servant. So I pray that we are challenged and we apply this to our lives this morning and when we walk out these doors that God has put someone on our heart that we're, we see a need in their life and we go and serve them and we love them in the name of Jesus. For those of you, maybe, maybe you don't know Jesus. You didn't know this is what Jesus was all about, about loving people, about taking care of people, not hating people but loving people and giving yourself up for people because that's what he did for you and for me. He was the ultimate sacrifice that gives us life. See, God always created us to be in relationship with him, but we messed that up and we sinned and we disobeyed him and, and we were separated from him because he is holy and set apart and he is perfect and he can't be near sin. And we've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And the payment for that is death. But it takes a perfect death, a perfect life to truly fulfill the payment in which God desires. And that's why he sent his perfect son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you and for me and make that payment for us. And because he rose again three days later and defeated death, he defeated sin. Us believing in that, we can have life, eternal life, with him in heaven. And if that's you this morning and you want to know more about that, you want to know more about how can I know Jesus, how can I believe and follow him, I'd love to talk to you this morning if you come up front. I'd love to have that conversation with you. As for the rest of us, I pray that we are challenged and that we go out and be the church, be the branch. Let Jesus change people's lives through us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that you do for us, for your son Jesus who came and died on the cross for us, Lord. That is your greatest gift, and I, I pray, Lord, that it, it, it pushes us and it drives us. All that love you've given us, Lord, it, it's more than we can handle, Lord, and I pray that it just overflows and spills out of us onto others. So, Lord, as we, we go out and we be the church, Lord, I pray that we can be obedient to the Holy Spirit, obedient to Christ, Lord, and live for him. Lord, and give ourselves to you fully. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.